Hello and welcome to Ducks on the Pond. I'm Kirsten Diprose. And I'm Jackie Elliott. In this episode, succession planning. Yes, it can be awkward, emotional and difficult to even just bring up, but it's a lot better than doing nothing at all. If we couldn't financially afford to buy out the farm, then we needed to know now while we were still young enough to sell what we have pick up and go somewhere else because we didn't want to find that out when we were 50. Do you just like pick a favourite and give them the farm or do you split it into four and each of them has, you know, like it'll be like the Irish potato famine. In in hard years, there's not enough country to make a living. That's Fiona Aviard, a farmer in central New South Wales and founder of Outback Lamb. And before that, you heard Melissa McDonald, who runs a dairy with her husband in southwest Victoria. You'll hear both of their succession stories, as well as advice on how to make the process go smoothly, have those difficult conversations with family members, and even how thinking about succession can actually improve and influence your business decisions. Now, Jackie, you know, I think this has probably been our most requested topic to cover by far since starting this podcast. It sure has. As soon as we had launched that we are talking about rural women and stories and topics for advice and living life on the land, the first topic that was suggested was succession planning and it continuously keeps coming up and there's terrible and tragedy stories around succession planning, but there's also really great stories out there on how people have, you know, been able to do it well. Yeah, I think it's such a a touchy topic because People come to succession planning often with their own experiences. It might be the generation before them where it hasn't gone well. And so when you come and sit down and think about your own involvement in the future of your farm or your partner's farm or or even a new business farming entity, you come with baggage, I think. Jackie, have you had much experience with succession yourself? Yeah, and like you were saying about coming with baggage, it is the same. It's like an emotional experience because you do have a lot of emotional investment in whether you're moving on from the farm and it's going to the next generation or for the next generation that's coming into the farm and other ways of succession planning. And my personal story started back when I was about... 10 years old. So my father and his um, brother were in a a farming partnership and it, it still affects me thinking about how, you know, it was probably a traumatic experience to have to sell up my family farm to be able to you know, close off that partnership and move on and start a whole, you know, a whole new farming enterprise, which is with my mum and dad. And to go through that as a child and early teens, everything was uncertain. So, the, you know, the, there was a sign on the front of the farm up for sale and it really does affect and have a negative impact on a childhood, I think. And I didn't know anyone else as I was growing up to any other child that had probably been through that situation. So you probably feel like you're quite alone. And I could see how it was affecting my parents. So when though it did finally happen, and it was a long stretch of time over like three or four years, as far as like which farms do we sell, you know, who's going to like stay on the other farms, who's buying who out. It stretched out over a long period of time and unfortunately it was my family that did have to sell their property or like a shared property that we were living on and they then set up and brought another farm, a bit smaller farm to, you know, get back on their feet and get into farming. And now that's 
15 years ago and it's still a, a time in my life that I think will always affect how I feel about succession planning and other especially now with my partner, I want to see it done done right. And so people are not affected and especially for that next generation. Well, Jackie, thank you so much for sharing that story. I think this episode is really for you and, and people who have had similar experiences or have negative past experiences because we're about to hear two stories from two women who have really done succession well for their own families, but also have experience of of succession through previous generations. And it hasn't always been easy. It can be sometimes, but sometimes it's not. But you can still come to a good outcome. So let's jump in and meet Melissa McDonald, who is gradually in the process of taking over the ownership of her parents' dairy farm. So my husband, Will, and I have got a dairy farm at Bessie Bell. We farmed that with my parents, so we came home to the farm about 14 years ago. We've got three children, so we've been through all the ropes, working for wages, then share farming on a 30% share, then going 50-50, and then we formed a company with my parents. And now they live off farm and have nothing to do with the farm except for coming out to cut wood occasionally and having to sign official documents, and we run the farm and live here with some really great stuff. Great. Tell me about that process. Um, was it easy? <laughs> Is it ever easy? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's ever easy in that sometimes it seems like such a huge leap of faith to move from wages onto a share farm agreement because suddenly you're going from being an employee with no real responsibilities to then being in charge of staffing and certain aspects of the farm that were never yours initially. So we suddenly had to learn all about staffing issues and wages and payroll and GST and doing our own VAS. And that's quite daunting when you've got a young family and also learning how to budget more than just your own weekly shopping budget. So it was quite a big step. And then moving on from there was quite a natural progression as mum and dad got older and wanted to move off farm and we wanted to progress with our ownership and moving forward. I think part of what you mentioned there is key that succession planning is not just about ownership. It's also about management um, and understanding the responsibility that comes with the ownership. How did you go about that? Like, tell me about the point you were in, your family was in when you thought, you know, I want to shift from being an employee to kind of planning my life and and knowing that this farm is going to be ours and and our families? Uh, To be completely honest, and I think this is quite common, um, so Will was the one that came home, like wanted to be on the farm. And having grown up on this farm, he did have to drag me and there was the occasional tear to get me back on the farm. And then we had our first, we were married, We had our first baby and we decided we'd do this 30% share and I was like, oh, yeah, I can do the books. And I had no clue, none. So communication was key. Luckily, mum um, was a great mentor, but also I'm quite stubborn. So I didn't want her to tell me how to do it so much. I wanted to figure it out myself but that was probably to my detriment. So if I was giving someone some advice in in that sort of situation, I would say please go to someone and get some 
either go and do some of the fantastic courses that are around or get a mentor who is really good or use your accountant or someone rather than trying to battle through it like I did. (laughs) You didn't have anyone because I'm new to the the books, the bookkeeping, been Mm. doing it for about 18 months now, but I've been using the accountant and my father-in-law is fortunately very patient and understanding. So that's good. (laughs) And then, and I mean, we're talking 13 years ago that we did this. So accounting systems weren't as great then either. And so we use zero, highly recommend cloud-based accounting, any of the great MYOBs, any of the ones that you can get now. They're so good and they're so user-friendly, highly recommend. So I think probably when we talk succession and when we talk about moving forward on farms, you have to always have someone that you can talk to. And But I don't think it's just one person. You need to be able to be really clear with your partner when you're struggling or when you're worried about something. Um, never just dive in because they think it's a good idea or never drag them with you without explaining what you're doing as well. So take us back to, you know, that moment when you're going to go on the farm. So it, it was your family's farm, but your husband was the one who really wanted to farm. How did that come yeah. about? <laughs> I, um, I always say it was conspiracy. So my husband was a bricklayer and um, had his own bricklaying business. And we lived in Port Ferry and I had a very nice life in Port Ferry, as you can imagine. (laughs) And, you know, I was managing a lovely homeware shop. It was so nice. But my husband's six foot three and that's not a great career choice being a bricklayer when you're that tall. And he'd grown up on a farm at Mortlake and I now live in that house and we still haven't finished the garden. (laughs) But it was just one of those things where we were very lucky that um, A, my parents love and trust Will and Will just has a natural aptitude for farming and he really pushed and wanted wanted to do it. My dad just loves him, loves Will, and Will decided he would become a landscape gardener. Mum and Dad had just built a new house. They were like, come and do my garden and we just never left and, in fact, the garden never got finished. Well, that all sounds pretty easy and smooth sailing, right? Well, Melissa says actually having those conversations about who would run the farm in the future were really hard, but she's got some good advice on how to have those difficult conversations. You want to be able to say certain things, but you certainly don't want to hurt their feelings. A good tactic that I've used over the years, so when we've been talking about buying out the farm, the dollar price is a hard one to and we'd gone backwards and forwards and we were lucky that mum and dad have been really amazing and agreed on a set price but we wanted to know what that looked like in total for us and it's a very very hard conversation to make and we were like well do we get a, a third party to be on that on the outside you know have a meeting with them have a meeting with us and then come into the middle but it didn't set well with us so we actually turned around and said, can you please write down on paper what you would like to walk away with? And that's how we actually came to our set decision as to how we would move forward. So currently we are in a company. We all have each um, partnership has a 50-50 split. We've all got a single share in the company for the four of us. We intend to buy mum and dad out of their shares and then also buy the land that they own. Uh, So we had to come up with a number to buy them out that they were happy with 
that we could financially afford that the bank would give us and that wouldn't leave either of us with a bad taste in our mouths. So in terms of succession, that's always the one that's the hardest coming to an agreed price. And I've got a sister and two brothers. None of them want to come home on the farm, but we do have to make sure that they're aware of what's going on and why we're doing it in the way that we are. It's really interesting that you did it uh, without sort of a third party. How did you go about understanding the market and what's reasonable and fair? What sort of research or where did you turn to to get that sort of information? We talked to a lot of people over time. So we've talked to real estate agents. We've been incredibly lucky to have a great bank manager and she's been an absolute rock and probably done the majority of the work for us in giving us prices and ideas on what we can achieve and what we can't achieve. So she's been our biggest help. Uh, We've talked to the accountant. Sometimes they've been a little bit more about how we avoid tax and, you know, put it into this trust and that trust, which can sometimes just get a bit more confusing, but still very valuable. We certainly did consider getting a consultant and getting a third party But because we've been talking all along and we know when we all get too emotional to walk away and say, okay, put it on paper and then just slide me the piece of paper because sometimes you just can't say the words. It's too hard. Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest barrier to people having conversations about succession and ownership and management Mm -hmm. because they just don't want to rock the boat or they don't want to upset someone unintentionally or ruin the family dynamic. Yeah. And that's, it is, it's so true and it's so hard, but it's so, so important to have those conversations and have them early because Will and I were always very aware that if it was, if we couldn't financially afford to buy out the farm for whatever reason, then we needed to know now while we were still young enough to sell what we have, pick up and go somewhere else because we didn't want to find that out when we were 50 because who wants to start again when you're 50? So we wanted to know now, we wanted to have certainty for our children if they want to come home to the farm in years to come, which is coming around fast enough. In 10 years, Harry will be 23 and he has an interest in the farm. Terrifying. Let's bring in Fiona Aviard now because she's already thinking about her kids and the farm succession plan at Tullamore in central New South Wales. She has four children, and while it's impossible to know right now whether they'll want to come back to the farm one day, Fiona is still factoring that into her business plan now. But Fiona has also had plenty of experience with succession planning from the generation before her. My husband is off a farming property as well as myself. They had a a pretty successful family succession plan. There was no, you know, no issues. The boys knew from a really young age what they were going to get. Their property was fairly big and was going to be divided between the three boys. What they ended up with wasn't a a block that they could make a living exclusively on farm, but it was a good starting point. I'm a fifth generation farmer. I ended up on the farm uh, myself, I'm the eldest, and then my sister, who's the youngest. We've got a brother and another sister. And we've done a succession plan with dad. My mum passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, We've done a succession plan. But I guess the crux of it is we both say very clearly that it's, it's his place. Like he can do with it what he wants. Like if he wants to leave it to us, then well and good. And we're happy to help him and do all the stuff. He still works on farm and like he's nearly 80 and 
does comes out he has a house in town and uh, and he couldn't be farming I don't think without our physical contribution but then he could probably outsource that and get other people and that sort of thing they probably wouldn't like being yelled at as much as we do so <laughs> so it might, he might find it trickier but um my sister works for him and she's on the payroll she works full-time and then I do the book work and help out my husband and I are more involved in the cropping and one of the things that we did really early on when we were like looking like we we're all going to be on the farm was that we bought some extra country that came up at joined dad's place and and that kind of um fitted into his property like he bought it essentially but we did all the work and all the income from that property went to purchase the off-farm assets that my other sister and brother will take when the day comes and again it's that back to that theme it's can never be even but you can be fair and I mean, we'll inherit debt and a big asset and they will walk away with a sizable chunk of cash. So, I mean, sometimes I think <laughs> I think I want the boot on the other foot. Like it's not, it won't be even, but it's also a big bonus in their lives. And as I said, we're all happy. It is dad's place. At the end of the day, he can do with it what he wants. If he wanted to sell it and travel the world and, I don't know, donate it to a dog home, then that's his privilege and his prerogative. Like it really doesn't matter, but we both own, my sister and I both own property independently and that's how we've done it. Like everyone's king of their own little dung heap and we're not living out of one account. Now there's some advice. You need to be king of your own dung heap. And that way you can also think about how you might leave it to your own, I don't know, dung beetles. Love the analogy, Fiona. I think that with the next generation, so I've got young children or they're aged from nine to 16, and we have started a, like a vertical expansion rather than a um, horizontal because we got a little bit sick of expanding and expanding and just getting busier and busier. And, and it was like, you know, if we're going to make a farm for every child, like we we'll might as well have no neighbours, like it'll just be awful. And that- I don't know what the alternative is. Like, do you just like pick a favourite and give them the farm or do you split it into four and each of them has, you know, like it, it'll be like the Irish potato famine. In, in a hard years, there's not enough country to make a living. So it's a dilemma. And I think I see a lot of good succession plans where kids work off farm and when they want to come back to the farm, they either, you know, buy in with some equity or they come with a plan and a strategy saying, these are my skills, this is what I can bring to the farm, this is what I think we can do. So it's more like a business. And I think that's got a real strength. And I also um, think that farming is on the crest of a wave of change, like we're on a real revolution. And I don't know really where that wave is going to break and what farming is going to look like in a decade, but I know that we won't be doing things the same way that we are today or that we were five years ago. Yeah, that's a good point. Can you tell me more about your business and then go into the vertical integration aspect of it and why you've decided to do that on on both a personal and business level? So I think that our local community wouldn't be different to a lot of small regional communities. We have a declining population and losing services and all that sort of stuff. The drought certainly didn't help. And we have a local little primary school or central school, but the primary component was um, three teachers and it dropped last year, two teachers. 
And um, and that's a big kind of crux for small communities because usually in ours anyway, the main employers are the hospital and the school. And when you're losing those people out of your community, it's a, a big loss. And so we were just looking at more the legacy of what's Tullamore is going to look like for the next generation and what what kind of community are we leaving for our kids? Like what are they going to be living in and what's going to be fun? Because we were finding that we were doing more and more there's less and less people. It's harder to have all the events and the functions. It's just a, a big, it's a big drain actually from everything from the local show to a ball to, you know, a trivia night. It's like, oh God, it's something else to organise. And so we just thought a lot about that and we're like, we really have to have like drought proof. We have to build businesses that are, while we're agricultural and, and reliant upon rainfall, that aren't exclusively reliant upon the rainfall and that we don't ever fall into the same trap that we did in this most recent drought where there was just no money and no income for such an extended period of time. It's really, it'll take a decade to recover from that, those losses, I think, and let alone the soils recover and structure around that. And, you know, it was just devastating for the community. So we, anyway, we decided to rather than keep expanding and trying to get those economies of scale and stay and just work harder to stay current, we thought that we might do some vertical integration. And so we started a company called Outback Lamb, which was value-adding the lamb that we had. We started doing boxed meat, um, moved very quickly to wholesaling into butcher shops. And then I did a program called Farmers to Founders, where we did a an accelerator, I guess, and looked at how I could build on, and we focused on doing lamb sausage rolls. And we're just literally on the cusp of launching into a retail market and and a food service market. In terms of succession, having diversity in business, for instance, the direct-to-consumer outback lamb product, as well as the regular farming commodities stuff that we're all familiar with, is actually a way of future-proofing the farm. Yeah, and it is quite interesting to think about diversity like this. It's not just about mixed farming. So whether you've got, you know, putting different crops in or you farm in different climate zones, it's really about looking outside of that the box on how you can diversify your business, market your own products, you know, even start a brand. It is really complex and exactly what you say, there is a lot of work that goes into setting up something like that and we're about three years from when the business started to the point now where we're about to launch into retail and food service and if the business pays me back, you know, my time (laughs) over that three years and all that sort of thing. But it's, I guess, we drew a long bow and it's about the next generation. Like my kids say, I don't know who will end up on the farm, but our youngest says, I don't know if I'll be sixth generation farmer or second generation outback lamb. And um, I think that's really kind of cute because he can see already that there's plenty of options in agriculture apart from what's modelled and what he sees around him. And I think that's the key for the next generation that, probably the jobs they do don't even exist already. And that's pretty exciting, a little bit terrifying, but very exciting. Of course, there are so many uncertainties when it comes to planning for the future. And if we just go back to the current generation, looking after siblings can be tricky as well, especially when the farm business has grown and land values may have risen since the 10 or 20 years since you first drew up a succession plan. Here's Melissa again. It's been a blessing for us 
in that mum and dad have agreed to sell the farm to us at the price they would have sold it when we took over the farm. So they understand that the growth that's happened since they left has been through our work. And so that's really lucky because market prices now are driving up so strongly. Yeah, they've, they've skyrocketed, um, particularly where, where you are. Which then means we now have to be so incredibly careful to have all of our, like our paper trails and our um, solicitor work done so that Will and I are protected for if the unexpected happened with mum and dad and my brothers and sisters, while I trust them implicitly, you'd never know how that type of thing can uh, change people. So we have to make sure that we're really proactive with talking to our solicitors and, and how we go about it as well. Yeah, that's really hard. And and look, if you don't want to answer this, that's fine. But, you know, siblings that don't want to come back to the farm, how do you sort that out? And how do you sort it out with different scenarios in terms of if, if a parent dies unexpectedly yeah. early? So communication, once again, is so important. Uh, we have taken the tack of making sure that none of them want to come home to the farm first, explaining what our plans are and, and how we're planning to achieve them in terms of buying out the farm. But I have to say we haven't left it open for them to say, well, that's going to affect me down the road because I won't get to inherit any of the farm. We've said this is what we're planning to do. We want you to be well aware of what's happening. Mum and Dad are happy with that. They've got plenty of opportunity to come and talk to us about it, but we make just make sure that they know what's going on more than anything, rather than we don't ask for their input. We're spread fairly far and wide, but we do communicate. But if you know, something shocking happened and mum and dad were wiped out unexpectedly, as long as all of our solicitor work is right, then if... So we are planning to buy mum and dad outright. I'm not having any land bequeathed to me. I'm not having any early inheritance given to me. We've decided to look at it as a purely business decision. Probably for that is because I've seen what's happened to families when one member has thought it was unequal and they've come back and they've put their hands out and said, well, you got that, it's now worth this, give me some. So while mum and dad have been really good to us, we are buying it and they're happy with the amount that they're getting. And I suppose mum and, mum and dad always raised us four to not expect any inheritance they're like if you can't stand on your own two feet by the time we die then we haven't done a very good job and they're like we could just leave it to all our grandkids and not leave anything to you guys at all and we've all just been like yeah that's fine because but when you start talking about land and farms and the place where you grew up it seems to be different I just think we're lucky that another none of my siblings do want to come home but it's just conversations, always conversations and good solicitors. <laughs> they cost money though, solicitors. Oh, so much money. <laughs> I know. So you have to have everything. Don't go to the solicitor with like a half-assed idea. <laughs> always go with everything written down and everything you can think of. When we were first going down the track where we didn't know which way to organise ourselves, we went to the solicitor with sort of this half idea and she's like, mm, well, 
That would work. Uh, work. But what uh, block of land will you sell off if they need to go into a retirement home? I was just, I couldn't even comprehend what she was asking me. I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, if, if they suddenly need to go into a retirement home, their worth is based on what they own. And if they've got money in the farm, that's still there. So then what you pay to go into the home is based on your worth. So, like, so which block of land will you sell to pay for them to go in? So that then we walked away from that meeting with so many more questions and a big bill <laughs> and, no, and no resolutions. And it then made me go, okay, so we have to look at this a little bit differently. So getting expert advice is really, really clever, I think. Expediating these processes, there's no quick way to do it, but you have to talk, research, and really just write it down, always write it down. Going through the process of succession planning is not really about who gets what. You know, Jackie, I think we need to change the whole concept about what succession planning really is. Yeah, and I think it comes down to the individual, what it is they probably expect or what they'd like to see out of the outcome and then trying to find the right balance because, it's you know, it's not always going to be equal shares and there's so many different elements of a business that can be split up. And I think if you know what's important to you and then you can set it up legally and so that everyone knows that then you can be the master of your own destiny and then allow the next generation to do the same thing, then you're on the right track. And for Fiona, when she started thinking about succession, she was thinking about it in terms of her children and her community, uh, but it also helped her keep the job of farming interesting. I'm very hands-on. Like I grew up, I was farming in my own right before Bill and I got married, but now as I've got older and I've got children and, and my role has changed and definitely part of doing Outback Lamb has been a real passion project for myself because I've learned a lot of new skills and in any job where you've been in it for a long time and you're going to be in it for a long time, you often don't get that opportunity to really diversify. Very early on, we decided to set up Outback Lamb as an independent entity. I was very conscious that I didn't want it to disappear into consolidated revenue if we just um, sat still and didn't do much or if it didn't grow as quickly as I liked. And so it's a standalone business and um, we buy the lamb off ourselves for the sausage rolls and uh, it's very, oh, I'm very conscious that we always thought it might be a business that we could take with us if we retired, you know, in a decade and left it to the kids here, then it was an asset that we could take with us and, and manage from anywhere or it could be part of the succession plan and one of the kids could take it over and I'm already you know, we're, as I said, we're so close to that retail objective. We're looking at export opportunities and um, my brain is already exploding about, you know, other avenues on the farm. Like what can we do with the wheat? What can we do with um, the wool? Are there other things that we can do that will add value to what we're, what we're doing just as commodity producers? There's a sense of relief knowing that you know what you're pathway forward is we still haven't nutted out the exact way with the bank as to how we're doing it our bank manager is amazing she's working on it but knowing that that is achievable that the bank has said yes we can do it we just don't know which particular avenue we're going to take to do it whether we do it in one big hit 
or on a five-year plan. But knowing that very soon, within five years, we will have sole ownership and so that we won't have to get mum and dad to come out and sign paperwork with us every time we need to buy a new tractor or do some major works. Or if the next door neighbour's farm pops up, we are able to do that because we actually own the land and the infrastructure as well that we can borrow against. So it's a relief. It's daunting because we're putting ourselves into massive debt, but debt is only as big as what you can service. Spoken like a true farmer, Melissa. That's it for another episode of Ducks on the Pond. But Jackie, the good news is we actually haven't finished with this topic of succession just yet. No, that's right. So keep those questions coming about succession planning and we're looking forward to catching up with a lawyer who will be able to, you know, answer those questions um, anonymously and, you know, hopefully you'll be able to pick up some good tips and advice on how to set up a great succession plan for your own family. Yeah, you can send us any questions or any stories that you have um, of your own succession. You know, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook. You can send us a direct message to keep it all private and let us know if you you want us to use your name or not. And of course, if you like this episode or think someone could benefit from it, please let them know. It's such an important topic. Yeah. And look, reflecting back um, on my personal situation, you know, 10, 15 years ago, Succession can be successful. So, yes, it was difficult back then, but now, you know, my parents and my family farm, they're in a much better position on their own and what they're doing. And, you know, my parents are able to build a future for one day for their retirement, although I don't think dad would ever leave the farm. But, you know, they've got three children that are all passionately involved in in what happens in the day-to-day operations. And now that you're engaged to a farmer, Jackie, uh, you're going to have succession mark two that you're going to have to deal with at some stage. (laughs) Sorry to inform you. One day, look, I think Dan and his family have taken the right steps to have a successful succession down the future. Say that 10 times. (laughs) (laughs) Successful succession. But in all seriousness, we want to thank our guests, Melissa McDonald and Fiona Aviard, for being so open and honest about their family farm succession. As we mentioned, we will be continuing this topic. Property lawyer Helen Quaid will be joining us in an upcoming episode. She deals with succession planning a lot and is on a farm herself. So if you have any legal succession questions for Helen, please send us a message via social media or email us at ducksonthepond.podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.